0: Let's continue our study of the uh, Paschal Discourse of Jesus Christ. We're working our way through John 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're, um, we're at John 15 this morning. Uh, John 15, beginning at verse 9. You find that, and uh, we'll read it in just a second. Um, Jonathan mentioned a new members class, which is a week from today. and um, As I said to you last week, it's, it's about three weeks earlier than we normally do it. And uh, that's, uh, that's my fault. Um, I'm going to be out of the country. Uh, I'm going to be teaching in a Bible college in um, Serbia, um, right outside of Belgrade, Serbia. Now, lest you uh, think of a Bible college like Moody, this is, this is 19 Serbian students, <laughs> 19, but uh, I'll be teaching the book of Jeremiah to them. So that's why we had to move it up. Uh, and it's a little earlier than we normally do it. So, now you know. You follow as I read that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. It's the very mind of God, as black words on a white page. Uh, This is the only inerrant and inspired thing that you will hear all morning. It starts at verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word. This, ladies and gentlemen, endures forever. You know what I would what I would love to do is to say that everything that I just read you in this little section of this Paschal discourse is just a repetition of things that we've that we've already seen before in earlier passage, and let's just skip it. Um, however, whereas there is a bit of um, repetition in this section. There is also some new material uh, in it, the most notable of which is this mention of joy. He calls it my joy. Um, um, My joy in you so that you can have full joy. Um, I didn't think we should skip that. Guys, uh, only Christianity emphasizes joy. Islam certainly doesn't emphasize joy. Islam uh, emphasizes submission. Judaism doesn't emphasize joy. Judaism emphasizes kind of a ritual form, check-in-the-boxes kind of thing. So, so knowing just that much... Help me understand. Help me help me understand this. Why do you think there is so much joyless Christianity among us? Why is there so much joy, so excuse me, so little joy among us as Christians? Well, this this text is gonna tell us. One of my heroes, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that the greatest sin among Christians is that they're not happy. Why is that? Well, this text is going to tell us. I mean, um, uh, do, we, do we have to search after some kind of new experiences to find joy? I mean, is joy limited to a, just a, a certain temperament type? Um, do I have to wait on um, on eternity? I mean, do I have to wait till I go to heaven to experience joy? No. Um, is there another antidote to this joyless Christianity? Yes. And this text is going to tell us what that is. It's it's really found, guys, in verses, well, it's really found in verses 9 and 10. Uh, Take a look at it. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You see that twice, that abide in my love, abide in my love? Uh, There's the antidote, ladies and gentlemen, to the joyless Christianity, abiding in the love of Jesus Christ. Now, what on earth is that? Um, He's just told us to abide in his love. What did he mean? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that it's a command. Uh, Both in verse 9 and, well, verse 9, abide in my love. That's a command. Then he repeats it in in verse 10. But in verse 10, he's going to tell you very simply, very simply defined, what he means by abiding in his love. Look at it. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. (laughs) But what does that have to do with joy? Well, look at verse 11. He says... These things I have spoken to you that my joy may reign in you and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you. What things? What things did you speak that my joy might be full? Well, verses 9 and 10. I just said those things in verses 9 and 10 and then he says, these things, those things, those things back in verses 9 and 10, I just said those things to you so that my joy might be in you. So what did he say in verses 9 and 10? He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And if you abide in my love, then your joy will be my joy and full joy. You get it? Do you see it? Joy grows With my obedience. Which guys, when you think of it, it really makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, um, obedience means that, that I'm being more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm becoming more and more like him. And the father is going to crown anything, anywhere, at any time that looks like his son. He's going to crown it with joy. Um, so he's commanding us to abide in his love. That obedience to that command means that I'm obedient to his commands, which produces joy. Now, guys, let's make sure we understand this. Let, let's make sure that we understand what's being said here. To do that, I want you to go to a book in the Bible that you probably haven't been to in years. It's the book of Jude. Now, get out your little devices, and it's easy to find. It's J-U-D-E. Just punch that little Jude button. and, and there it'll, It's only one chapter, but if you don't have one of those devices... Uh, and you have one of these old fashioned Bibles, um, then it's Jude, is the book right before Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. So it's the next to the last book in the Bible. All right? Go to Jude. Um, again, I'm just trying to explain what Jesus is saying in John 15. You with me? Um, I'm going to read you two verses out of the book of Jude. It's only one chapter, so it's verses 20 and 21. Now, um, notice in verse 20, but you, beloved, so first thing you need to know is, he's, he's writing this to Christians. You, beloved, all right, uh, building yourselves up uh, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Here it is, verse 21. Look at this, look at this sentence. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Do you see that? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, that's a very odd little statement, isn't it? I mean, um, does that imply that, I can, that a Christian can fall out of the love of God? Um, how could a Christian ever be outside of the love of God? What is meant by this keep yourselves in the love of God? Well, now guys, here's how this works. This, This is what is meant in that statement by Jude. When I choose to pursue sin... When I choose a path, a course of disobedience, then my fellowship with Christ is broken and joy disappears. We know that. We know that is true because we've done that. We've we've watched our joy evaporate Because of certain choices that we have made Haven't we Oh but you want another example Oh I got a doozy of an example Do you remember that story When David went out and had an affair with Bathsheba Remember that Um, uh, He chooses to uh, have an affair with a woman That's not his wife And then he has her husband murdered Do you remember that Uh, His name was Uriah the Hittite. And then Nathan, the prophet, shows up into David's office one day and he sticks his bony little prophetic finger right in David's face and says, David, you're the man. And David repents. And his repentance shows up in a psalm. Psalm 51. That's his penitential psalm. Psalm 51. And in that psalm, Verse 12, David says this. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now, had David lost his salvation? No, no. But had David lost the joy of it, Oh yeah, you bet he had. And why? Oh my friends, the answer is clear. Can there be any doubt? Her name was Bathsheba. And as a result of his choosing a course of disobedience, David lost his joy. Now, keep looking at Jude 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Guys, the Puritans, the Puritans who were um, heroes of mine, The Puritans used to make a whole lot of, they used to talk a whole lot about what they called complacent love. Now, guys, we don't use the word complacent like that anymore, like they were using it. Complacent to us means that we're satisfied personally with ourselves, you know? But when they spoke of complacent love, what they were talking about is an experiential love, a love that you could feel, that you could sense, it's, it's the love of an obedient child, it's, it's the love that he senses when he obeys his father. You know, I guess the best illustration of all this, which is an illustration that's been overworked, in fact, it's probably been overused by me as well, but it certainly has been used way too much by pulpits, including that one. It's the story of a movie, a 1981 movie, *Chariots of Fire*. Remember *Chariots of Fire*? Boy, they had that that theme song that won an Academy Award. Uh, It was a great theme song. Uh, The theme song. Anyway, um, but Eric Little. It was the story of Eric Little. Eric L I D D E L. He was a he was a missionary to China. Um, But before he was a missionary to China, he was an Olympic, Olympic runner. And um, he ran in the 1926 Olympics, something like that. It was a true story. But uh, he was a sprinter. And his race, his sprint, was scheduled for Sunday. And he, as Britain's representative, refused to run. Because his race was scheduled on Sunday. Um, He went on to win a gold medal in a a, a relay race. But his big rival was Harold Abrams, a, a Jewish guy. But anyway, before, before the Olympics, his sister, whose name was Jenny, Jenny um, tried to talk him out of being a runner, a racer, uh, Olympic, and tried to ask she asks him, she asks him to stop running um, because his, she thought that his running was distracting him from his kingdom work. And Eric Little says to his sister, Ah, but Jenny, (laughs) when I run, I feel his pleasure. (laughs) God made me fast. And I'm simply doing what God has made me to do. When I run, I feel his pleasure. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when you do what God has asked you to do, you feel his pleasure. It's what the Puritans were calling complacent love. When I do what I'm supposed to do, I feel his love for me. It's an enjoyment of God that is only known to the obedient. You know, guys, so often, way too often, you and I think of obedience as drudgery. But do you see what Jesus is doing with obedience in this paragraph? He is saying, no, no. Obedience is not drudgery. Obedience. Obedience. Obedience is the opposite of drudgery. It is, the, it is the path. It is the path to tasting of my joy. So that your joy might be full. And, and, and look guys, look, look what he does in the text. He goes on to, to equate it with friendship. He says in verse 14, you are my friends if look at it. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The test of our friendship with Jesus Christ is obedience. Joy comes as a result of obedience. And so now, my friend, now you know why there is so much joyless Christianity Guys, he even goes a step further. In verse 10, the last half of... He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He gives us, in the, those last words of, of verse 10, he gives us the model. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What he is doing there is that he is giving us the model for our obedience. He is saying... Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's the model by which you are to abide in my love. You know, I guess somebody would say that maybe Jesus was a legalist because he kept his Father's commandments. Folks, to obey commandments makes me like Jesus. (laughs) Huh. Love always wants to obey. Isn't that what we want from our children? Don't we want our children to obey us because they love us? Guys, there is an enjoyment of God that will only be known by the obedient. Happiness and holiness are wed. Holiness and joy, they go together. According to this text. I I would even add this. That assurance, assurance of my own salvation is a fruit of my obedience. Assurance is a privilege granted to those who obey. Guys, if you are, if you, if you speak of your assurance while you have chosen some course of rebellion and disobedience. You know, I I have to wonder about whether you're real. David didn't talk like that in the course of his disobedience. You want to hear how David talked when when he was in the midst of his disobedience with Bathsheba? Let let me me read you how he talked. Um, He said this, this is in Psalm 32. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned in the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Guys, you really can't talk with a certainty about your standing with the Lord as you are pursuing this course of disobedience that you may have chosen. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, this is not in my notes and that makes my nervous my, my, wife, my wife really nervous when I depart from my notes. But I'm telling you, I am not a counselor. I don't claim to be a counselor. I, I don't. I wonder why people come to see me as a counselor, because I'm very bad at it. But do you know how much? Do you know how much adultery gets into my office? I mean, I, I don't want to overstate it. I don't want to misrepresent it. But, ladies and gentlemen, the, people choosing courses of disobedience and then looking me in the eye and saying, I belong to Jesus. How can you read this text and say that? I don't know. I just don't know how you can read the statements of Jesus, choose to rebel against him and say all is well with my soul now guys having said all that I've just said I've got to make sure that I don't lead you into two errors I've got to make sure that you don't come to conclusions that are wrong conclusions based on what I've said two errors that you must avoid first of all That you come to the conclusion, which would be erroneous, that my obedience somehow earns favor with God and is needed to be, it is needed for me to be saved. I didn't say that. I despise that notion. It is utter nonsense. Obedience is tied to my enjoyment of my salvation, it is not tied to the establishment of my salvation. Okay. The other error that I want to make sure that you don't that I don't lead you into is that grace makes obedience optional. It doesn't, ladies and gentlemen. Grace makes me eager to obey. Grace enables me to obey. Don't you just want to obey? Doesn't it grieve you? Doesn't it grieve you when you disobey? When you're out in the traffic and you lose your temper and you scream things out the window and and make horrible gestures, doesn't that sadden you? that you just did that. It does the real. Grace doesn't make obedience optional. It makes it possible. Guys, um, there's there's a couple other things that I don't want you to miss in the text and then I'll quit. I want you to notice that in this text, this John 15 text, there is one specific act of obedience that he mentions. Um, There is, I mean, he, he talks about obedience, but he mentions one piece of obedience specifically. He mentions it in verse 12, and then he repeats it in verse 17. Let me just read verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. The one commandment that he mentions specifically, and he calls it my commandment, is the commandment of us loving one another. Abiding in Christ, which is reflected in my obedience, which leads to joy, and it leads very specifically to an obedience of our loving one another. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how much joy do you see in a juicy church fight? (laughs) Well, now you know why. By the way, um, in this text he also gives us the model on which our love for one another is to be based. He says it in verse 12, or the last half of verse 12. He says, um, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And notice, as I have loved you. I want you to love one another the way that I loved you. So there are to be no limits as to how we must love one another. Love one another as Christ loved me. And, and how did Christ love me? Oh, I, I, I laid down my life for you. Guys, um, is, there, is there room for us to grow? In, by the way, <laughs> it is so it is so fun to be able to make this exhortation in, the, in knowing that there is no big church fight going on among us, or at least any that I know of. Um, I mean, you can only say stuff like I'm saying when there's no church fighting going on. Oh, and I'm so glad there's no church fight, fighting going on here. You know, when people ask me about Gracie Van, the one thing I say is, well, at least we're happy. We might be stupid and happy, but we're still happy, you know? Uh, but there's no church fighting going on. That's just. But, but the point is, guys, is there room for us to grow in this love for one another? Oh, oh you bet. Um, and, and getting better at it would require more humility on all of our parts, more repentance over sin. Yes. But that's the one piece of obedience that he specifies in this text that is of major concern. Which, by the way, is nothing new. He said it before. He said it in chapter 13. Now, one more thought and I'm done. You know, I said as I started, um, (laughs) I would love to skip this text. See that's one of the beauties and one of the pieces of wisdom about preaching through books. Because you've got to you've got a um, you've got to preach texts that really make you uncomfortable. Um, uh, texts like these they're they're really they're really hard on us, aren't they? Um, Text like this—they're not asking us. Uh, did you check the right boxes? Uh, do you have good church attendance? Um, are you are you doing all the things uh, that your church tells you to do? Are you, are you a good? Are you a good Christian? Texts like these aren't asking those those questions. You know what it's asking us? It's asking us, am I a friend of Jesus? You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. It's asking us Do I abide in his love? You see, it's texts like these that won't allow us to stay on the outside and um, you know, strut around about how nice we look and how good we perform. It's texts like this that draw us into the examination of our insides because it's asking me Am I a friend of Jesus'? Or better, is Jesus a friend of me? Is Jesus a friend of mine? I mean am I not am I his friend, but is he is my friend? Is he my friend? Guys, you do know, don't you? How that friendship starts. That that friendship between us and Jesus, you know how that starts, don't you? The text tells you. It's mentioned right there in the text in verse 13. It says, "I laid down my life for my friends." Jesus laid his life down for his friends. And I become one of his friends. When I come to the conclusion that the only solution for my sin is to cling to what he did on my behalf on what Jesus Christ did for me not what I have done for him. Guys, it is painful to our pride to to discover that the Christian life is not rooted in what we can do. It is rooted in what has been done for us, not by us. So again, Do you know what he did for his friends? He died in their place. He became the sin-bearing substitute for his friends. And his friends obey him. And one of the ways they obey him is that they love one another. Are you one of his friends? Heavenly Father, um, we are, so many of us, are friends of Jesus's, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because we did anything to get it, but you in sovereign grace have brought us to yourself. And we, we love to hear instructions from our Savior, and we pray that as we uh, listen to this piece of his instructions, that you will, um, that you will enable us in a far greater measure to obey and to abide in your love. We are people who are broken and needy and um, we have no uh, special claim to grace, but grace is ours. And oh, how glad we are that we belong to you. Father, if you have brought people to this room this morning who have not yet met our Savior, who are still not his friends, would you cause them to see that what they need more than anything else, more than their next breath, is the forgiveness of sin only made available through Christ's finished work. Do that, Father for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of your Son, for the sake of your own glory. We ask it in Jesus' name.